So this morning is Sunday. It is April 26th. It is 2009. Our message this morning is the life that God can bless. What a topic, right? Uh, to say that you're going to sum up the life that God can bless in an hour, it would be uh, a pretty futile attempt. So what I'm going to tell you is that as I prayed about this, I have a few items that we know God will bless in every life. It's not by any means supposed to be comprehensive. It's just supposed to be the ones that I believe God gave us for this morning. Amen? Y'all can forgive me for that. I was on Rodeo Drive yesterday, and I watched uh, people worship. There was a Bentley that eventually is going to rust and burn. It might take longer than it takes for my Ford to rust and burn. But there was a Bentley there with some famous person in it and cameras all snapping around so that somebody can go in and pay $3,000 for a shirt that costs $15 to make. And as I was there, I thought, you know, this is what the world thinks is a blessed life. I drove around Beverly Hills, and truthfully, what we liked the very most about Beverly Hills were all the things that were there before the people were there. The hills and the trees and the skyline and that kind of pretty stuff. And I realized that this is the people worship center of the world. They even have statues, headless statues, like used to be in Greece, but a whole lot more graphic there, worshiping the human body on, on the corners. It's really... Uh, really amazing. And the human bodies that they worship don't look anything like real ones. Uh, have you noticed yeah. that? In fact, it is the land of uh, plastic people. And uh, it's all superficial. It's all false. None of it is going to last. Nowhere around you is any of that going to last. Without any question, it will all fade away. You know, I, I couldn't help but notice, and uh, I have a wife that sometimes will point it out. Did you see that? You know, Somebody walking by that has been more modified than one of those low-rider trucks, right? <laughs> and uh, I think, what is that going to be like when she's 70? What, what, do you, what is that going to be like? Because the silicone won't age like the rest of you, you know? And uh, this is not to pick on cosmetic surgery. I just started to see what a futile and hopeless attempt at happiness. It is all going to fade. And everywhere I went, I met beautiful, wonderful, nice people that were godly, some of them. Uh, some you could tell as soon as you spoke to them. They were a brother and sister. And uh, I realized there is no area. Have you ever been out here and thought the left coast is uh, uh, a bunch of weird people, right? Yeah. Well, they think the same thing about Texas, and Texas thinks the same thing about other areas. No, there were godly people and there were unrighteous people. And as I began to think about what makes a life blessed, I couldn't help but think about my own life. And it started with the acknowledgement that not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it. Only those who do the will of the Father. So first on our list is obedience. Obedience. And uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. Who knows what comes from Deuteronomy 6? The Shema. That's right, or Shema. There. Israel wakes up every day. Pious Jews every day begin to pray. And they pray, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And just like uh, in Greek Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism, there may be recited sayings that after a while lose their meaning. 
there may be Jews who pray and that means very little to them. But I can tell you that the practice originated out of something very meaningful. The beginning of all blessing is acknowledging that there is one God, period, and He is your Lord. He is your owner, your controller. But I wanted to read to you some from Deuteronomy 6, 1. These are the commandments, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commandments that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Do you think that sin has the potential to cut somebody's life short? Yes. Yeah. Most people, when they're asking for a blessing at some point in life, stop thinking about good looks. They stop thinking about wealth. They stop thinking about faster cars or more money. And they start thinking about living a while. In fact, I've watched in my own family people who said that they did not care, they weren't scared to die, spend their last dime to stay alive another month. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars go in a matter of months. And you find out long life is a blessing from the Lord. He said if they obeyed all of these things, they would enjoy a long life. You know anybody that's cut their lives short because they didn't obey the commands of God? This brings us to a principle that I want to talk to you about. God will never ask you to do anything or not do anything just because He's a killjoy. Right? See, I had this idea of Christianity, and some of it was based on what I saw. I mean, it was truth. What a bunch of losers. And I've met people that, that shook my hand and said, Hi, brother, I, I love you. And I just thought, man, I can't relate to you at all. Where did you get that suit, and does the hair Velcro on your head? <laughs> and I just thought they are all stamped out of the same ridiculous mold, and there was nothing in it that I could relate to. As I began to think about some of those things, the Lord began to deal with my heart about being a real one. About not fitting into some mold. Just being who He called me to be. But being in love with Him. One of the things about the creation that is wonderful is that its diversity magnifies. It glorifies God. The fact that Matthew is so different from I and we both love Jesus or Mandy and Jennifer are so different and they both love Jesus is something that magnifies His name. A long life. I want the right kind of life. Listen what happens here. He says, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, so that it may be, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well. There is nothing, back to our stereotype of Christianity, there is nothing that God will ever ask you to set down unless it has the potential to hurt you. And so when I saw these people that I thought were a bit strange and spoke in an octave I didn't understand and dressed in ways that I didn't see normal people dressing and had these haircuts that seemed to look like helmets, it was something that I just didn't know what to do with. But our God, our God has said for us, he wants us to be real 
and he wants us to embrace him. And here's the thing. There is not a comprehensive list of things that simply Christians do or do not do. There is a relationship with our God that cannot be fit into a mold. It cannot be shaped by someone else's hand. And so when Mario responds to the Holy Spirit, it will not look exactly like when Steve responds to the Holy Spirit. And what I began to see all around me was that all of these people that I just saw as people who didn't know how to have fun were trying to walk in a mold that was not made for them. Have you ever seen somebody have a great deal of fun doing something you would never do? Anybody in here base jump? No, but the people who do it love it. I mean, they love it. Few in here skydive, right? Yeah. And what an amazing thing. Is there anybody in here that skydiving is not quite your cup of tea? <laughs> How about that? So I want you to think about this. Why is it that we join churches and we have a list of rules and we put ourselves in a mold that says we dress this way, we act this way, a pastor has this Bible, we all have this Bible, and all of a sudden uniformity is the norm. Well, what happens is there is no joy in it. There is no life in it. And yes, it looks like obedience, but it's not obedience to God. It's rules and precepts that simply become precept upon precept. And when I saw this, I couldn't figure out how to fit into that mold. I saw some that were flourishing in it because it was close to what God had called them to. It was part of their life. I had to decide, Lord, what is it that you want of me? Because I want it to go well with me. So, one time my little boy had a pocket knife. He was two years old. He wasn't supposed to have it. And he was playing with it. And it was shiny and it was beautiful to him. But I, as his father, looked and saw it had the potential to really cut him up bad. So I took it from him. And boy, he was angry. He was upset. He thought I took his toy, his plaything, his fun thing. But from a father's perspective, all I did was remove something that had the serious potential to harm him. When we speak about obedience, you need to understand the things that God does not want you to do, He does not want you to do because they have serious potential to harm you. Is there anybody that you know that has experienced serious, serious harm and consequence from having sex outside of marriage? Of course. Anybody you know that is really broken because they gave their heart and life to somebody like they were married, but they were never married? Yes. Yeah. All you got to do is think. In fact, if you walk to the end of your driveway and you look to the left, one out of every three houses has that going on right now. One out of every three. Look to your right, same other direction. There's a world around us that is hurting, and it's because we have the idea that obedience to God is boring. No, no, no. Obedience to God is freedom from things that will kill you. Amen. Freedom from things that will kill you, that have mastery over you. Have you ever noticed that some habits start innocent and they grow to a place that they control you? Mm-hmm. All sin is that way. We're supposed to master it, and it has a habit of mastering us. As we talk about obedience, I want you to understand, first and foremost, it is so that it will go well with you. Ten times in the book of Deuteronomy, God says that. I want you to do this and this and this and do not do this and this and this so that it will go well with you. He is not about killing our joy. In fact, you see in Jesus a man who leaps 
for joy. Somebody who's astonished. Somebody who hangs out with those the church people wouldn't hang out with and apparently drink something that people accused him of being a drunkard, although he was not. We serve a God who experienced life to the fullest. And He comes to give us life to its fullest potential if we're obedient to Him. Get out of your mind that obedience is following the Westminster Abbey's Confession of Faith. Now, it may be wonderful. I haven't read it since I was about 16. I have no idea. Obedience to what God has spoken for you to do will bring blessing every time. And you know what? Like that thumping heart that was in here during worship. Somebody had a chance to be, be obedient. They missed that opportunity. That chance to be obedient would bring blessing immediately. Said, so, but what about the next step? God rarely shows you what all He will ask of you. He simply says, I want you to give me your entire life. Give it all to me. That way, as I ask for it incrementally along the way, there won't be any argument because you pledged it to me in the beginning. If somebody said, Abel, give me all of your money, and you said, okay, but they asked for it a dollar at a time, you can't start arguing at $3 or $7 or $8. You already pledged it all. Many times in the Christian walk, we are lacking blessing in our lives because we have pledged all of our obedience, but we're giving it at best incrementally and sometimes withholding it. Lord, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that because it's fun. <laughs> that, not so much. That one, Cap is supposed to do. <laughs> that one was for Cody, right? That one, I mean, the Lord wouldn't tell me to do something like that, would He? The obedience of the nations will be his. Sooner or later, it will be his. Genesis 49.10 says the scepter won't depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations will be his. The God that we serve appointed one man and put him over all other men. He proved this by raising him from the dead. And that one man will have every nation's obedience. It starts with us, though. It starts with us. So you want to be blessed? Number one, think about being obedient. Let's finish this part though. Hear, O Israel. Now, let's start in verse 3. Yeah. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Have you ever heard of the term malicious obedience? I did what you told me to do. Exactly that much, no more. Ignore the spirit of it, everything about it. I simply did what you told me to do. Right? You told me to take out the trash. You didn't say where, so I put it in the neighbor's floor. Right. You, know? right. you told me to back out the car. You didn't tell me to move the other one first, so I ran it over. Right. Sometimes Christians because we get angry about having to obey the Lord in ways that we don't understand. He doesn't always explain Himself. Do what He said to do with that kind of heart. Well, Lord, You said I have to love Him. Well, yeah, what a wonderful example. Yeah, You loved Him. Lord, You said I have to give. Were You as happy about giving to Matthew or Brandon who was in need as You were buying your new coat? No? Well, then did you really give with the same kind of cheerful heart that the Word commands? Mm -hmm. See, there is a malicious kind of obedience. And what it does is it allows us to say, I did it. 
But inwardly, all we wanted to do was justify ourselves. The truth is, our heart wasn't in it. So the Lord, when He begins to speak about obedience, begins to speak about loving Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. And this is because what happens when you really love someone, you want to do what's in their best interest. The best way to display the kingdom of God is to do what God tells you to do. That's His dominion, His kingship, His domain working through you. So that when Branson wants to know what Jesus is like, he should be able to see it in Casey. And when Casey wants to know what would Jesus do, he wouldn't have to look at a bracelet. He could look at Steve. And this would be an example of love-grounded obedience. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. How do you get something on your heart? You ever had a song you couldn't get out of your head? Yeah, it's because you heard it one too many times, huh? As you hear something, it begins to get in you. We need to hear the Word. We need to speak the Word. This is why the next part of the command given to Israel said, talk about it when you walk along the road. When you wake up, when you lie down. You know, impress these upon your kids. We need to talk about the things that the Lord wants from us and the things that He does not want from us. Have you noticed it's kind of an unspoken thing? Don't say that. You might step on somebody's toes. We serve a toe-stepping God. Let me, let me assure you that. There are no steel toes in here. None of you are exempt. I'm not exempt. We serve a God that will step on toes. You know why? That response to pain that makes you jerk back is God-given. It says, wow, I wasn't obedient in their area and I feel a little sting. I might need to choose a new direction. The Bible calls these goads. This is what Saul Paulus of Tarsus experienced on the road to Damascus. God had been goading him in different directions, trying to get him to obey his will. And finally, he showed up in the flesh and talked to him about it. How about that? Moving on from the Shema, understand that it is God's desire when you are obedient that it go well with you. That's not because he wants to punish you. It's simply that he has set up certain things that if you do, you're blessed. Like if you jump out of a plane, what do you do? Fall, right? And if you jump in a pool, you get wet. Those things are beyond contestation. The Bible presents obedience to God's word as a blessing beyond contestation. It also presents disobedience as a curse. If you ever thought of a curse as something that was mystical that floated around and landed on you, then somebody went, and it came out and got you, you know? I'm from Louisiana and New Orleans. There are people that actually act like that. You're wrong. A curse is the absence of God's blessing and the natural result of disobedience to God. And we all live under a curse until Jesus removes it by giving us His righteousness and showing us how to obey Him. See, that's not really complicated. I don't know why the church has made it that way. Y'all ready? Yes. Move to Romans 5. Obedience has to do with lordship. You need to understand from Romans 5. That's good, Mandy's first one there. The rest are lagging. There. Three of you. Y'all not going to talk to me today? There. We're here. I hurt everybody's feelings. Come on. I try. I do. I strive after it. In Romans 5, we see uh, starting in the 19th verse. For, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, 
the many will be made righteous. This is a verse that is speaking of in Adam's disobedience, every human being fell into something that was a curse. But in Christ, because of the one man's obedience to the maximum, he even submitted to death to show us the extent of his love for the Father. We have a chance to move into something that is righteous. Well, it's fine when we think about it in terms of Jesus being that way. But what we don't often think about is that that's true in our lives. When Steve is disobedient in some area, I only pick it because it never happens, although Darnell hinted at it once. <laughs> when somebody sins in one area, it always, 100% of the time, affects someone else. You say, uh-uh, not that one. That one didn't because nobody knows about it. Now, I can assure you, all sin has consequence. The wages of it are death 100% of the time. It never affects just you. I've heard every justification for sexual immorality that I think can be come up with. And uh, my favorite one is that didn't hurt anybody. It was just me. Really? Didn't hurt the people that produced those things? Didn't hurt the people that participated in them? Not hurting the future people that you run into and now your mind's tainted with all of that garbage? Is it really just hurting you? Or is that just a lie you tell yourself to justify? See, all sin is that way. It has a trail that is longer than you can see. All sin is that way. But you know what else is that way? Righteousness. You remember the movie Play It Forward? Right? I never even saw it. Pay It Forward, right? Play It Forward's a sports bar. Yeah. Pay It Forward. What happens is, when one person steps into the will of God and they start to do the things that God wants, it will always affect the people around them. And in turn, that will affect the people around them. And this is why it is fundamentally wrong to go seclude yourself in a cave somewhere and say you're doing God's will. Mm -hmm. I don't care what monks did it. They were all crazy. <laughs> Absolutely non-Bible-based stupidity. Mm -hmm. Because God's whole desire is that what He deposited in you would begin to spread like leaven through bread. Everywhere. This is the goal. One act of righteousness can change a life. In my life now, I've walked with him enough to have been in the strangest situations. Have a gun put to my forehead, say something kind to the person, and they end up saved after a short stint in jail. Uh, <laughs> send out a newsletter to somebody who's about to kill their baby. And they get up out of an abortion clinic and go home and reconcile with their wife and the girlfriend. Get it all straight. One act of righteousness has far-reaching effects beyond what you see. Obedience brings blessing because obedience is His kingdom. Turn me to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, we're going to start in the 6th verse. What we want to do is we want to show the kingdom in our actions. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know how Jesus could say that? He was walking in such obedience to the Father that when you looked at Him, what you were seeing is a picture of the kingdom of God. You know what? There are some people that could walk into a room and announce the kingdom of hell is at hand. How on earth could somebody do that? Because that's all they extend in people's lives all around them. When you look at them, you are seeing a picture of what it is like to be devoid of God's presence. 
But the opposite is also true. There are some people that when you meet them, their lives are so submitted to the Father, they are so in love with Jesus, you're seeing a picture of heaven on the earth. We call that the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said the kingdom's not there or here, it's within you, that's exactly what he meant. Everybody in this room, from Mitzi right on over to Rebecca and Christy, has the ability to dwell in the kingdom right now on earth by recognizing the king's domain in your life. And when you do that, like little lights that are beginning to appear in the firmament, you shine like stars in the heavens. Say, well, they'll know I'm a Christian because I don't curse. They'll, which, it's good, don't curse. They'll know I'm a Christian because I don't whatever. Well, that's possible. They could mistake you for a Mormon, though. Could mistake you for a Jehovah's Witness. I'm going to stop there. Those are the most recognizable cults. I'm not going to name all the lesser ones that will hurt everybody's feelings. You know how they will know you're a Christian? How they will know that you're in love with the Lord? Not when they see that you don't. When they see that you do something that is what Jesus would do. If life were defined by what you don't do, then all of us right now should go lock ourselves in a steel box and put bread and water in there. And then we would all be the holiest thing on earth. In fact, prisoners in solitary confinement, they would be really achieving God's will. Right? And they would be filled with such a sense of purpose. They'd be filled with a blessed, full life, right? But no, that's a form of punishment because it's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. Supposed is not a word. We're supposed to do. Any good I have teachers in my own family? I appreciate that, Mom. Thank you, Michelle. So in 2 Corinthians, starting in 9, uh, we're going to be in the 6th verse. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It so happens that the Apostle Paul was talking about an offering for another church, but I want you to understand this verse has broad application. Is it only true that if you sow money generously that you'll reap money generously? No. It's also true of generosity. It's also true of love. It's also true of trust. It's also true of every other good quality. True, the bad ones too, by the way. You hate, what happens? You're hated. You kill with a sword, what happens? You're killed by a sword. See, whatever a man sows, that's what a man will reap. It's funny that people will sit in front of a pastor and say, I don't know how my life got this way. Yeah, I know. Well, let's start with your uh, circle around your own two feet and then we'll move out from there. How about that? Each man should give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Why would it matter? Why not give at the threat of a curse? Why not give because if you don't, you'll get burned. Now we're talking about love, generosity, money, all of those things. Why not do that? Because God wanted the obedience that comes from Him being upon your heart, not malicious obedience. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Could he say all one more time? You have to be an apostle to write a sentence like that. All, 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 all. Sounds like one of those soap commercials, huh? All. 
The idea here, when people say you can't outgive God, and boy, they have twisted that around to get you to bounce checks to them. So that they can build playgrounds for Jesus. Right? Big amusement park for Jesus. Six flags over Jesus. The whole idea here is that when you're obedient to what He has told you to do, He will give you whatever you need to replace it so that you can be obedient the next time He tells you to do that. The storehouse of the righteous man never, never goes dry. That would make God a liar. Does it mean that somebody who loves the Lord is never poor? No, it does not mean that at all. I'll show you that here in a minute. But you know what? You'll never be poor in a way that really matters. I told you I was in special places in the last few days. And I saw people that had every material possession in the world. And if they were happy, they would not be injecting cow's body parts into their lips. If they were happy, they would not be going through painful surgery to try to look just a little bit different. Or, or paralyzing nerves in their face to get rid of a, a line, you know. My face is starting to look like a road map. Or a globe. And you know what? A person's beauty is supposed... Supposed to flow from a quiet and gentle spirit before God. Someone who does His will. So perhaps those people are chasing after something that is as fake as the spray on tan they were walking around with. That's ridiculous. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply an increase in your storehouse of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. He's number one not just talking about money here or else the whole church would be rich and I assure you it wasn't then, it isn't now. He's talking about rich and what you have in your life to display before other people. But I want to tell you something. Why would he make your life rich or abundant? To give to other people. Say, well, I will when he makes my life rich. I have known people, even in this church, that when they made $20,000, had nothing to give to anyone else. They then made $35,000, had nothing to give to anyone else, and are now in the 60s and still have nothing to give to anyone else. Nobody wants to sit and talk about that. Nobody wants to have an honest accounting before God. If you stand back and say, God, when you do, then I will. You made yourself God and Him your puppet. But when we're obedient and we say, Lord, I will do in my fear, in my insecurity, help me in my unbelief, Lord, I will do what you've told me to do, suddenly He becomes God and you've just shown that you trust Him. This is the goal of obedience that you show you trust Him. This is why I always ask you to do whatever is difficult for you. For some people, one thing's hard, and for another, that very same thing is easy, right? Like if I had to stand up here and sing, that would be hard for me. It's easy for Matthew. But if he tells me to stand on my head and sing the Star Spangled Banner to you, at this point in my life, I will overcome my fear and insecurity, and I will do that very thing. Because... He wouldn't ask me to do a thing in the world unless it was going to benefit His kingdom. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have provided yourself, proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. Get this. Other people see these people's obedience and confession. Well, those two words don't go together in American Christianity. Obedience and confession. It's one thing to go do good things and have no confession. You see that? In the place I was just in, there's all kind of philanthropy. But it's not for God. It's to build their own names. It's to appease a conscience. It's to do all kind of things. But a confession that says, Jesus is my Lord. That means He owns me and controls me. And although I don't know you, I feel like I am supposed to do this for you. So, but wait, brother, well, let me get your address so that I, I can pay you back. I can. No, my God says no. He says, This is from Him, be blessed. That kind of obedience that accompanies a confession causes people to praise God. I have a cousin that was lamenting her life, that God was not doing anything for her, that she never really saw a miracle, those kind of things. She's not a bad person, she's a good person. She's grown up in an environment that was largely devoid of godly influence. We're still praying that she'll get a chance to escape that. But, you know, the very same week, somebody in the car in front of her bought her meal at Burger King. They don't know her. She doesn't know them. She never got to see them. Do you think that somebody's obedience there is blessing her? That one act of righteousness went a little bit further to show that She's not forgotten about that God does care. She was actually counting pennies in her ashtray thinking, I don't even have enough money to buy a happy meal. And a car in front of her body. That is the kind of obedience that should accompany our confession. Our faith should be so grounded, our trust so grounded that it produces obedience. And that is blessing. Do you think that God will let that happy meal that went bought go unrewarded? There is not a chance that he will. I can tell you there's some cathedrals that have been built that will go absolutely unrewarded. They may even get punished for the misuse of money. But that happy meal will be rewarded because it's exactly what Jesus would do. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 28. Does anybody know where the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice? First Samuel. Anybody? It's First Samuel 15. It's an amazing setting. An amazing setting. I know, I told you to go to Deuteronomy. It's because I'm going to tell you about First Samuel rather than read it. See, I try to see me moving that way and I'm really going this way. You stay in Deuteronomy. It is an amazing setting where God says to obey is better than sacrifice. He says it through his prophet Samuel to a king named Saul. Yeah, the context is almost never quoted. And see, the thing is, is God told Saul, man, I'm going to establish you above all the nations. He even changed Saul's heart from one person into another person, the scripture says. And if you didn't know it, Saul got filled with the spirit to the extent that he prophesied as an anointed king. But Samuel said, I want you to do this, 
this and this because God has said so. And among them was I want you to kill every single Amalekite. Every single one. You wipe them out. And there's a reason for that. We don't have time to teach on it today. But part of loving the Lord is believing that He says that it's right. So, Saul and his men go and they kill all of the Amalekites except the king. And they kill all of the Amalekites' animals except the very best ones. And they destroy all of the Amalekite stuff except the good stuff that they want. And the first words out of Saul's mouth to Samuel is, but I did obey. Now you can look at somebody else's life and go, oh, well, <laughs> he obviously didn't obey. I mean, he said, do this, this, and this, and this. He only did three-fourths of it. He didn't obey. But how well do we do when we take that mirror and turn it around on our own lives? How well do we do with that? To obey is better than sacrifice, the Word says. So how well do we do? We would say, but I love the Lord because I do this, this, and this. Really, what about this giant area that is the elephant in the room? What about that? So, well, he'll be patient with me. I agree. I agree. His patience will lead you to repentance. He will not be patient with you to stay the way that you are. Our God requires of us continual changing and growth which is our next subject. It will be God blesses the active life. I want to read to you out of Deuteronomy 28 that let's talk about full obedience. If you fully obey the Lord, well, fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of His mitzvahs, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All the blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. It's amazing that he even has to say this to them. You might know when the book of Deuteronomy is written. What point in Israel's history? Right before they go into the promised land. But Exodus, Exodus is right as they're coming out of Egypt. Right? That's the Sinai experience, the, the mountain. In Exodus 24-7, they said, We will do all that the Lord God has commanded us to do. So why now, 40 years later, are we having to even have this talk? Because the people of God have always been the same way. We pledge our whole life, but then when He asks for it in increments, sometimes we renegotiate the deal. There is no renegotiating. God either owns all of you, or you're in rebellion to Him, and there's a limit to where He can bless you. Amen? Yeah, I don't even want to say amen to that. So be it, but it is true. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and of your young and your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your baskets will be needing, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come to you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. The Lord will establish you as His people on and on and on and on and on. So what is the first step to blessing? Obedience. And what He just said is He would give you the abundant life. Let me put this in much more simple terms. When you do what God tells you to do, it results in a full purposeful, abundant, awesome life. Mm -hmm. To the extent that you refuse to do it, you bring upon yourself the very opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Now our goal is not that anybody would find themselves 
on the negative side of that message. The reason that the angels appeared to the shepherds was to announce to them the good news of great joy. The reason that these apostles gave their very lives was to get to you the good news. And the good news is if you do what he says for you to do, it will result 100% of the time in a blessed life. Why on earth would we stand back and ignore and think we know better? and think that our one circumstance is unique in all of human history and it's the singular event that God's word does not apply to. But how many times have I done that? Man, I have. Sat right there, let the devil slip a bag over my head, whether it was self-pity or despair or whatever it was, and think I was the singular event that was the exception to the rule and Lord, I will be obedient when... I became God and he became the puppet. Because he loves me, he disciplines me though. And he did not let me stay there. Come on, saints. Whether you like it or not, that is a good word. Let's talk about the active life. Turn to 2 Peter. Second Peter 2, starting in verse... Hmm. Not right. We get to First Peter. Still not right. Ah, got it. First Peter, or Second Peter, the first chapter, fifth verse. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. Is that a blessing? If you could say in your entire life, I never fell. Would that be a blessing? Yeah. Of course it would. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you think that there is one person on a deathbed anywhere, one person that would say, you know, I would rather keep all of my money and go into the grave. I would rather keep all of my prestige and go into the grave. I'd rather keep all of the things I accomplished in my secular work and go into the grave than to trade them all and know that I had a rich welcome in an eternal kingdom forever. Boy, See, the thing is, is we trade our rich welcome sometimes in that eternal kingdom for all of those other things and we don't have to. The obedient life, the blessed life, is an active life that is adding things to your life daily. It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. So what do we want to increase? Faith. 
You want to grow more in your trust in the Lord. That is a blessing. You want to grow more in goodness. You want to grow more in knowledge and in self-control and perseverance and on and on and on. A life that is blessed is a life that is changing and growing, not stagnant. Things need to be being added. If you know everything that you knew, let me say it another way. If ten years ago you reached a plateau in your knowledge of the Lord and it has not grown in ten years, that is not a blessed life. The Word is living. It's active. It's dynamic. A blessed life means you better be changing your mind occasionally. It's a sign that you're growing. It's a sign that there's life there. There ought to be things present in the 25th year of marriage that weren't there in the first. There ought to be things that are present in your life now that weren't there. And you know what? It's false humility to say, I haven't grown in any of these areas. <laughs> That's not godly at all. It is godly to be able to say, you know what? I persevere a whole lot more today than I did in my first year. I can see progress in my life. Praise God, it's His work He's accomplishing in me. Amen. Saints, a blessed life is one that is active. It's growing. Turn with me to Matthew 25. I know, it'd be a whole lot easier just to give you three steps to a blessing and tell you to write a check to a certain address, right? <laughs> Put pictures of starving kids and flies running around. I wish it were that easy. I really don't wish it were that easy. Then I'd have to spend eternity with a bunch of people that I don't want to hang around with in this life. <laughs> Obedience, activity in the Lord. Doing something for Jesus brings blessing. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 19, this is a parable most people know, so I'll sum it up for you. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things, come share in your master's happiness. Come share in your master's happiness. So I don't know what's wrong with my life. I just don't, I don't feel very happy. I don't know where all my joy went. Well, what are you doing with what God's already given you? You dwelling in self-pity? You burying yourself in a hole? See, the blessed life the blessed life is the one that takes what God has given you, whatever it is, and uses it for the benefit of other people. From Abraham, who was blessed to be a blessing to the nations, to Jesus, to David, to every human being God has ever called, He wants His kingdom displayed in your life so that you can affect other people. In other words, He's invested, entrusted things to you, and if you want to be blessed, increasing measures of happiness and all of those things... You have to put them to work. How happy would you be? Let's suppose for a moment that Cassidy had $100,000. And she gives it to me, right? That sounds like so much money. It's really not. But, I mean, not when you want to build something. But let's say she gives it to me. And she says, Eric, you are now my investment banker. Bernie Madoff didn't do good for me. You're my investment banker. And then she comes back after a time period. Right? 
She's expecting that that has grown in some way. And to not grow it in some way is tantamount to stealing because I promised her a return on her investment. You understand that? God has invested in you. He's not just invested in you money. This is not even really about money. What has he invested? Well, to start with, how many messages have you heard? If you've heard more than five messages, raise your hand. That's, that's the majority of you. How many messages have you shared? Well, I don't have a chance to get behind the pulpit. Really, at work, you don't have a chance to talk to people? Well, I, I, I don't have a chance. You don't have Thanksgiving dinners? You, you don't have opportunity to share what God's invested with you? I was in a hotel, and they happened to have a lounge. And I noticed that those men in the lounge, they were solving all of the world's problems. I mean, they were free in their expression of what they thought was right and wrong and what they thought about politics and what they thought about religion and everything. They were expounding like prophets on bar stools. <laughs> Do I really not have an opportunity? Or is it only them that get to praise their God? Do I not get a chance to? See, God has invested in us. The question is, do you care enough to do it? See, all those parables about uh, a Levite passing by somebody on the road and a Samaritan helping comes down to one question. When you're sitting there thinking, do I tell Adam or not? Do I say it or not? All of the calculations in your mind tend to go through, what if he doesn't receive it? What will people think of me? What if I say it and it doesn't come out right? What if, what if, what if? And there are all consequences to you. The consequence God is looking for is for you to become concerned. What happens to Adam if I don't tell him? See, the Christian heart, the blessed life, is not just active. It's active in increasing the kingdom for other people because your life's not about yours, you anymore. What better way to express that than in biblical times saying things like cook meals for other people and don't let them return the favor. Go invite people to your feast that cannot invite you to theirs. This was a way to get you to invest in someone else's life without thought of return or hope for reward. What might the modern day equivalents be? Well, you still have dinner tables, don't you? Yeah? That hadn't changed in 2,000 years? That didn't get interpreted out? Are there any other areas you could invest in? Well, they don't see worth. It's because you buried it so deep, they don't see the talent you're trying to give them. Give it some time. Did you try once in 10 years? Or 10 times in 2 years? Activity is something that God can bless. Look at Matthew 25, starting in the 31st verse. These are twin parables, by the way. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Sounds like somebody's getting a rich welcome into an eternal kingdom. They must have possessed something in increasing measure. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Did you notice not one time in there did he say that you believed any particular thing? Why not? 
Why didn't he simply say, you were charismatic, and buddy, that's good enough for me? Why didn't he say, you PC? You and I are like that. We don't have the same haircut, but we're good. Why didn't he? Oh, Methodist, please, come on in. Baptist, the only one's here. Why didn't he do that? No doctrines mentioned? Deeds are mentioned. You know what else he doesn't mention? Come you who failed 75 times, but then got it right this time. He only mentions what they did that he told them to do. You want to know what's going to be important a thousand years from now? Did you do what he told you to do? Not the number of times you tried and failed. Not the number of times you didn't get it right. What will be important is that you did or did not do what he called you to. This is how David can commit adultery, commit murder, have sword chase him around his whole life, have his own son sleep with his wives on the rooftop of a palace. And then Acts 13.36 says he achieved his purpose in his generation. Because among all of the other garbage, what Cajuns would call gradu, the little nasty stuff burned up in the pan you scrape out after cooking, he also did what God told him to do. Can you say that about your life? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these of my brothers, you did for me. He throws some others into a place that was really only designed for Satan and his angels. The difference was some did and some did not. You want to be blessed? You be obedient to whatever God tells you to do. You want to be blessed? You be active. Add to whatever you have today with more tomorrow. Grow. Try to expand your horizons. Drive a different way to work. Sit in a new place in church. Say hello to the person that was mean to you last week and give them another shot. Grow. This is a chance to display God's kingdom. Proverbs 3 has got a pretty important scripture that we have to hit. There. Good. Proverbs 3, look at verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Skip down to verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, not the second fruits, not the tenth, not the thirty-second, not whatever is left over after you've eaten. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's amazing the next verse is about discipline, isn't it? That is an amazing thing. If you do what He tells you to do, then the blessings will come. We need to understand that. An obedient life is one that God will bless. An active life is one that God will bless. Tithing is something that God will bless. Last scripture on tithing, we're going to move to a different subject. Start with Deuteronomy. Just because it's the last scripture does not mean you're free from turning to it. Deuteronomy 14. Some of you may recognize this one. 
I got lunch for the person who recognizes where this verse comes from, where you should have seen it. At the end of every three years, bring all of the tithes of that year's produce, this is 1428, and store it in your towns, so that the Levites who have no allotted allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. Where have you seen this verse? Had the lunch offer has been repealed. It's, it's above the tithe box. It's in size 15 font, right above the tithe box, right in front of the door that you walk in and out. And the important part, the part that is bolded, says this, and so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. He says, if you do these things, then the Lord God will be able or may bless you in all the work of your hands. So you tell me the truth. Who does it hurt if you are not financially obedient to the Lord? doesn't hurt your church. That's usually what you hear said. God will raise up from fish coins if we need them. You are not going to hinder the purpose of God in this church. But you know who you will hinder? You. Because he says, do these things so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So that God may bless you. There is no pathway for blessing where trust-grounded obedience is not there first. Wanted to move to a couple other things. Second Chronicles. I already warn you out with changing pages. These next ones are short and they will bless you. They came out of my reflections on the trip. Second Chronicles 31. First, the Lord will bless the life that is obedient. Second, He will bless the life that is active. Third, He will bless the life that tithes. Here comes four. He will bless the life that seeks to be led. Hezekiah is one of my favorite kings in all of the Old Testament. He actually instituted a revival that was centered around Passover where the Levitical priesthood got saved. <laughs> I've got to love that. Not only did the people respond, but the priests who were supposed to have been leading them, they all repented and got saved. Because you, friends, you know you have had a revival when not only does the congregation respond, but the clergy responds. A man came to my school in 1993. He asked questions. Then he turned to all of the staff and he said, I was speaking to you as well. They didn't invite him back. But I got born again. Verse 20. 2 Chronicles 31, verse 20. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And everything that he undertook in the service of his God God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly and so he prospered. When you seek God and ask him to lead you and there is already faith there, there is already obedience there, there is already activity going on in your life and now you're saying, Lord, I got the wheels moving, I'm ready to do what you tell me to do, I'm doing what you've already shown me to do just guide me. Lead me. He will prosper you in everything you do because you are something that is a moving, active display of His kingdom. He will prosper 
you. Psalm 77, 19 through 20 says, Man, you led us, this is King Eric's summary, you led us through the ocean, but we never saw your footprints. You need to understand there are many times God will lead you and you do not see a pillar of fire or a cloud by day. You simply know that it's right. And so you do it. Or you know that you're meeting resistance from the enemy, selfish type resistance. And so you do it. And God is glorified. Matthew 7, 7 through 12, teach about a life that cares about other people. It says uh, it's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's amazing that our God speaks about blessing in those same terms. You want a life that is blessed? Romans 8.14 sums it up. It says, As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. It does not get any better than being a son of something that is divine. You seek to be led by God and you will be blessed. Turn with me to Psalm 136. I have two scriptures for you. In all of this, did you ever hear about somebody that was poor? Not in the message so far, but certainly in life you have. You ever been poor? You're poor right now. In this church, we've got people of every different socioeconomic setting, right? I just came from the place that everybody says is blessed. Because there's Bentleys and Mercedes and really god-awfully expensive ugly dresses. You know, I don't understand that one. And these houses that could be a hunting camp where I grew up, but because they're on a mountain, are worth millions of dollars. Jennifer and I pulled a, a real estate advertisement for land, just land, $14.5 million. And I uh, said, wow, that is blessed. No, it's not blessed in the end. Every bit of it will burn right down to the elements. But you know what will stand forever? Whatever you did for the Lord. So I want to tell you something. If you're in a position where you feel like you're the tail and not the head, I was feeling sorry for myself. thought I was in need of a vacation. And this verse came to me. Psalm 136 verse... Well, let's just start in... Uh, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And who brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel forth in the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. Who struck down the great kings, his love endures forever. Are you getting a, a, a repeating theme here? What has happened is the psalmist is feeling sorry for himself. But then he begins to reflect on all that God has already done in his life. And he comes to the conclusion his love endures forever. I was sitting there thinking of all the reasons that this was wrong, that was wrong, blah, 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 blah. I began to reflect on all the things that God has already done in my life. 
And I began to say, His love endures forever. Watch this. Verse 23. To the one who remembered us in our low estate, His love endures forever. I want to ask you something. The blessed life is not the one who never gets into a low estate. God remembers us in our low estate. The blessed life is the one that in your low estate, you remember the Lord. See, you're going to be in all kind of ups and downs. Paul said, I know what it is to be in want, and I know what it is to have plenty. But he had learned a secret. The Lord was with him in both places. You're blessed where the Lord's presence is. So if you think you're on the down and out, the Lord remembers you in your low estate. The real question is, are you remembering Him? Are you doing what He says? Are you active? Are you obedient? A reflective life, one that reflects on what God's done for you, is one that can be blessed. One of the quickest ways to find yourself in sin and idolatry is to forget what He's already done in your life. But it is so easy to do. I recommend if you do not journal, journaling. Even if you can only do it once a month. Summarize what God did for you that month. Look back over it over the course of two years and it reads like the book of Acts. But it just feels like life. And the devil has a way of stealing those things from you. Look back and see what God has done for you in five years. And you know what? You will feel blessed. Last scripture. First Peter. Saints, I want with all of my heart for you to experience God's blessing. Some, most, most in here are experiencing God's blessing on some level. The question is, when Jesus said, I came to give you the abundant life, or life, he said, to the full. There's really no way to translate this in English, and everybody has struggled. It means life to its very fullest potential for you. Books are written about that. Your best life whenever. I haven't read any of them. They all may be wonderful. But I guarantee you, it all starts with being obedient to what He's already told you. With getting active in it. With seeking Him about more of it. With reflecting on what He's done. I promise, there is no path to obedience or to blessing that does not go through obedience. None. And many times we're sitting saying, Lord, why haven't you answered my prayer? He said, why haven't you answered my word? Lord, why aren't you doing this for me? He said, why aren't you doing this for me? I mean, it happens all of the time. It's just a lot clearer when you're outside of it watching it. Thinking, they really don't see that. How could they not see that? How could you not see that? Well, nobody told us. Today you heard. First <laughs> Peter 5, starting in verse 5. The last principle that I want you to get about blessing is God blesses the life that is truly humble. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Humility gives you the opportunity. Not thinking, 
I have it like the way Brother Mike said it. He said, knowing who God is, knowing who you are, and learning to appreciate the differences. This gives you a chance to evaluate your life honestly and submit to God everywhere He has shown you to submit to Him. This means that He will absolutely exalt you or the Word is lying. I don't believe the Word lies. So, as a pastor, what I'm doing is standing here telling you not five ways to get rich, not six ways to live a better life. I'm telling you that the Word works and that when you, with your heartfelt effort, begin to strive to be obedient to what He's already shown you, when you look for the chance to be active in His kingdom, doing things for other people whenever you get the chance, when you start being faithful in your finances, which is the major God that's worshipped only behind sex in this country, when you seek to be led in all of your directions, when you reflect on where He's already brought you from, and when you remain humble, that is the fullest possible life for you. And David's might look different than Casey's. And Casey's might look different than Christie's. But it will be the fullest life that you can have. They say purpose driven. That's probably true. Purpose does drive me much of the time. What I find though is that my purpose leads me through life. I have a goal to accomplish and it's not just to be blessed. It's to be a blessing. And what I found is in that, I am blessed. Since I want you to experience that. We're going to baptize at least one young lady today. We're going to baptize her because she took a step of faith and approached me. I didn't have to approach her. Something changed in her life because she stepped forward in obedience to what God said. And now she's experiencing blessing. Mom and Dad are here on the front row. She's not perfect. Baptism does not mean you're perfect. It is the first outward step for the whole world to see that you're being obedient. I said, but wait, I was baptized when I was a kid. Did it accompany obedience? Did obedience accompany the confession of your faith? I'm not on a mission to get everybody wet in the church. I am definitely on a mission to make sure that you have been obedient in every area He's called you to. I was preaching like this one time and my wife stood up and went and got baptized. God blessed her for that. It had to have been hard. She'd been a Christian a very long time, been baptized as a kid, but something happened and she felt like she had made a child's commitment before and it was time to make an adult's commitment now. <coughs> We're not Anabaptists in here. I don't even care about the method or mode. I have a horse trough sitting out there to baptize people in. If you want to be sprinkled, I will take from the horse trough and throw it at you. <laughs> what I care about is that you have taken whatever steps in your life you can possibly take to show Him, I want to be obedient because I know blessing follows. Y'all stand to your feet. There is a ladies meeting today from 4 to 7. Bring desserts. Finger foods. Yeah, bring whatever you normally bring. Bring your leftovers home. Yeah. <laughs>
things. If you walk out of this kind of message and say that church just wants your money, you have really missed the point. We don't even pass a plate for a reason. I got to be the only pastor you've ever met that gave back an offering because I didn't think it was given with the right heart. I don't want your money. Jesus wants your lives. He absolutely does. I'm going to do it financially with you or without you because God will raise up whatever I need. It's your blessing to get to be a part of it. Your blessing. I want you to experience all that God has for you. Don't stiff arm Him. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Do whatever He tells you to do. Amen. Amen. Join hands. If you're scared because we're weird, <laughs> and you think, I just don't know how the whole altar thing works and all of that, that's okay. Come find me. It works in parking lots. It works in our cars. It works everywhere. Just come find me. Okay? Mighty God, Lord, we love you. Lord, I don't want to live a life that's not blessed. I don't want to be less than you've called me to be. I cast off fear and insecurity. The details be damned. I'm going to do what you've told me to do. Because I don't want to be. I want to be blessed. I love you, Lord. Pray that you would invest in these people. That you would invest in them the strength and courage to do all that you have called them to do. Holy One, then that the world would be blessed for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 If you have to go, that's okay. If you